Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Let me invite you to turn with me, please, in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 18. We'll be in Jeremiah 18 this morning. And if you are in the Family Life Center or worshiping online, I encourage you as well to turn in your Bibles as we prepare for the study of the sacred word. Jeremiah 18, verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Come, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel as seemed good to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as the potter has done, says the Lord? Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. O house of Israel, the reading of the sacred word, it's reliable and it can be trusted. Let's pray together. Good and loving God, in this moment, we pause to acknowledge the power of your presence in this room, on this campus, in this world. We yield ourselves to the power of that presence to do in us and with us and through us what only your presence can do we are listening we've opened up your word and we will dig in and seek its wisdom but we cannot do it without you guiding so we welcome you in this moment and we welcome lord ourselves to be fully present in this moment attentive to what you are up to in us. We pray these things in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. One of the dominant themes in all of sacred scripture, one of the dominant metaphors uh, to describe humankind and the dynamics of the human journey is clay. It's weaved all throughout the sacred pages from the very beginning to the very end, especially the very beginning, where we find the Lord who made everything imaged as the one who kneels down in the dirt 
and scoops up with God's own hands the material with which to make a people. And we read in that first and second chapter of Genesis how God forms the first humans out of clay and leans over to breathe into their nostrils the breath of life and they become more than clay. They become living beings. Do you know that science even agrees with the sacred proclamation? In New York, some biological engineers from Cornell Department of Nanoscale Science, they are saying now what has been said by people of faith in all religions for years and years, that we began from clay. As it turns out, clay at the very basic level is a, is a gathering of all kinds of minerals that, that act as a kind of laboratory uh, breeding ground for molecules and chemicals to, to really be absorbed like sponges. And over billions of years, a chemical reaction within the clay actually can develop proteins and DNA and eventually living cells. In one of the scientific journals I read this week in preparation for our time together, I read a sentence that jumped right off the page that blew me away. The experts now say, clay might have been the birthplace of life on earth. Well, yeah. And I'm here to tell you, my beloved sisters and brothers, you are made of clay, but you're not just made of clay. You are made of clay. Can you hear the difference? You're made. You are meticulously made. You are carefully crafted. You're deliberately designed. Every mortal on the planet and scripture echoes what I'm saying. In Psalm 139, we hear these words, For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The great prophet Isaiah even says something more profound. He says, Oh Lord, we are the clay. You are the potter. We are the work of your hand. Every single mortal on the planet, without exception, is born in the image and likeness of a loving creator. And by being born that way, is, is born beautiful and good and lovely and right and holy. That you, I've said for a long time, you right now host within you the holy presence and action of God. And, and it may seem a little simplistic to say that on a Sunday morning, that you're made beautiful, you're made beautiful. But I'm, I'm here to tell you that I know there are people on campus, people in this body of believers, and I know people who are watching right now online who are struggling and dying from the asphyxiating power of shame in their life. They're caught by the grip of guilt over things they've done and shame over the way they feel about themselves. And it may be worth saying out loud in their face that when God dreamed you into being, God had something beautiful in mind. 
God has something beautiful in mind when God made you. And God still does. But here's here's the interesting thing about beautiful things. Beautiful things like you and me and everyone who may not seem beautiful to us but have been declared beautiful by God. Beautiful things break. That's the nature of clay. It breaks. Some of you know that I've been working on developing a new hobby. I've been working with wood project, products, projects. I've been making things out of wood. I'm discovering an ability I never knew I had. And so to do so, I've rearranged my garage and I've created a kind of shop with saws and tools, things I never used to be in my garage before. A few weeks ago, I was making with my father a pegboard to hang tools on. And, and we were there for hours and hammering away on this wall and putting up this beautiful pegboard to hang some some tools, and after several hours of work, I go inside, and nobody's inside for a period of time, and I walk by the room, the dining room that's on the other side of the wall that I've been hammering for hours. Come on. And my wife has this beautiful vase that is now in a thousand pieces on the floor. And I'll tell you that just to underscore the truth that beautiful things break. Beautiful people Beautiful relationships, beautiful plans, beautiful goals and dreams, they break. But it's okay. Because I suspect it's only when we are broken that we are rightly in the position to be transformed into something new. You know, the people of Israel were in a beautiful thing with God. And God said, I'm going to make a covenant with you. We studied this for like a thousand weeks, remember? He said, I want to be in covenant with you, and I want this, this is going to be beautiful. I'll be your God, and you'll be my people, and it'll be beautiful because we'll be able to show the world what it looks like to be in relationship with one another. But do you know what the people did? In time, they did what you and I do. They put that relationship on a shelf like a vase. Sometimes beautiful things, when placed aside, they break. And that's what this passage is all about that I read just a few moments ago. Because God says, I want to show you what do you do when the beautiful thing breaks? What do you do? Jeremiah, I want you to go down to the potter's house. I want you to see something. Watch the potter at the wheel because I have a message I want you to discern. And so Jeremiah goes down to the potter's house and he watches the work and he sees the potter mold the clay and drizzle water upon the clay and make sure that it's malleable and he shapes it into something that is beautiful. Then there is a tragic verse that I read a moment ago. It's verse four. Verse four reads, the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. Now there's a variety of ways to interpret that phrase, spoiled in the potter's hand. The New International Version puts it this way, the clay was marred in his hand. The Berean Study Bible said the clay became flawed in his hand. The International Standard Version said it was ruined in the potter's hand, and this is my favorite, the NLT. It did not turn out as he had hoped. (laughs) Right? Do you know what that feels like for the thing that had so much promise and potential and beauty, the thing that was designed to be great, 
and it didn't turn out the way that you had hoped, I feel like some days when you and I go through life with this kind of low-grade, um, generalized disappointment with life, do you know what I think that is sometimes? I think that's the presence of God in us sighing that things didn't turn out the way we had hoped. No matter how you translate the phrase, at the end of the day, what it really means is that beautiful things, they break. And when I say they break, I mean bad. Music stops. Hope gets put on pause. When you break beautiful things, it's nowhere near the image that you had in your mind, that's for sure. But I want to hold this up for just a moment out in front of us. I don't know what he was making, but it looked kind of nice. But I want to hold this out just before us for a moment to ask you the question, do you know what this feels like? Do you know what it means to have something beautiful emerging within you and then the thing happened and the music stopped? Is this you? Because that verse is a tragic verse, but I, I got to tell you, if you hear it with ears of hope, Yes, it's true that the vessel that was in his hand was spoiled in the potter's hand. But the emphasis is on the end of that sentence. The vessel he was making was spoiled in the potter's hand. And I don't know what level of pain or woundedness or brokenness you brought with you on campus today, but I am here to proclaim to you there is a difference between being broken and being broken in the potter's hand. When we are broken in the potter's hand, we're not finished. Because the potter knows what to do when the thing that was beautiful has now become broken. Many of you know that my wife was a baker. She owned a bakery for a long time, ran a business in Tennessee a long time ago. And she would make these amazing cakes, these wedding cakes, these multi-tiered cakes and party cakes, and they were spectacular. And one day she asked me to help her deliver this cake. It was magnificent, it really was. And we showed up, and we, I, I was there to help her because it's kind of heavy, and I don't know much, but I could lift heavy stuff. So I, I, I picked up and helped her move it to the place where it goes, and, and it was arranged, and it looked great, and something happened to the table. I promise it wasn't me. <laughs> and it, it did a thing, and it fell, and it was awful. And my wife let out a, because <gasps> the wedding is in a few hours, the reception just an hour after that. And then she froze, and my wife went into crunch mode. If you've never seen my wife into crunch mode, it's a sight to see. She froze, and she said, go get my stuff. So I went out to the car, and, and from the, our, our van, I, would, I brought in all of her stuff. Man, she has like 
bags and boxes. She's like a Navy SEAL when it comes to like baking. And she had attachments coming out and here's what she did. She began to rework. She took little wooden dowels and she measured them and broke them and stuck them in places to counteract the imbalance. And then she piped more icing around the edges and you never knew what had happened because when you step back and look at it, it was gorgeous. And the bride and groom never knew. And I'm telling you this story to tell you that there is a difference between being broken and being broken in the hand of the potter. There is a a difference between being marred by life and being marred in the hand of the maker. Can I ask you to ask you, are you in the hand of the maker? Have you yielded your life in such a way That no matter what life brings, no matter what tragedy comes, you will not fall apart even if life falls apart around you. This is why we must bring our children and our teenagers, our students to church to develop within them the awareness that Christ will not protect you from difficulty in this life. Christ will not protect you from all the problems of life, but Christ will hold you together with Christ's own hands when life around you falls apart. Yes. See, as good as that sounds, as good news as it is that falling apart is one thing, but falling apart in the hands of the potter is another, there is more to the sentence. The sentence continues. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand and he reworked it into another vessel as seemed good to him. Instead of throwing away the clay, instead of discarding it because it's imperfect or flawed or wounded, he molds it again, drizzles just enough water to make it moldable, pliable, workable and begins the work that only the potter can can work. Remaking the clay into something different, not the same, but as the text says, something that is useful now. There is some level of brokenness in your life that must take place for you to live fully into the usefulness and identity that God had in mind when God made you. And I want you to know this is the universal pattern. The universal pattern is this, formation, deformation, transformation. You are formed beautifully. There's nothing you can do about the fact that you were made beautiful. God is crazy about you and there's nothing you can do about it. But even the beautiful thing that is in you, it can be, It will be, and i got to say, it must be broken in order for the deformation to bring a transformation in your life. Now you ask me, why does God do it that way? Why would God form something so beautiful only to let life deform it? Why couldn't God just allow the beautiful thing to remain the beautiful thing? And here's my deeply profound answer. Here's my theologically uh, vetted answer. Here is years of study and experience. Here's my pastoral answer to you. Why would God do it that way? I don't know. I don't know. But here's what I do know. 
It is only in the times in my life when I have been wounded, vulnerable, scarred, broken to pieces. It's only in those seasons of my life when I learned to allow God to love me in my deformation in a way that God could not love me when everything was just beautiful. Because before too long, you and I begin to convince ourselves that that our beautiful lives are beautiful and we, we, we are blessed the way we're blessed, privileged the way we're privileged. We have the things that we have because we're just good at being beautiful people. That's the illusion. And sometimes what must be broken is the ego and the, the illusion that we don't need God. But when we are broken... And God, the potter, takes the broken clay and puts it back on the wheel. You and I are able to be made into something that we never would have been made before, made into before, had we not gone through the thing. Do you know there's a great chapter in in the book of Romans, chapter 9, I want you to read. Here's just a, a verse or two of it. But who indeed are you, human being, to argue with God? Will what is molded say to the one who molds Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one object for special use and another for ordinary use? What if? What if God has done so in order to remake or in order to make known the riches of his glory for the objects of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory. In other words, what if the thing that broke you or the thing that is breaking you, as brutal as it feels, what if it is the one venue in which God can be glorified through your life? Do you know that long ago when when the Japanese would break an antique jar, they would fill the cracks with gold? in order to accentuate the brokenness because they understood that it's in the cracked parts of your own journey that your true story emerges. This is what reminds me of the Leonard Cohen line from that great song Anthem. He says, there's a crack in everything, but it's how the light gets in. You know, this past Monday, uh, many of you, were with us when we went to the synagogue, uh, the synagogue of the Congregation Dor Tamid here in Alpharetta. After the shooting in the synagogue last week, many of us gathered, and, and it was a, a prayer gathering for hope and peace and comfort and solidarity, and it was an amazing gathering. There was every kind of faith that you could possibly imagine in the room, all kinds of Christians, several kinds of Baptists, I'm sure, But there were Jews and Muslims and even those with no faith who gathered in the room. And you know what's interesting? It was a powerful night of peace and hope and solidarity. Some of you were there. But do you know that for a long time, several of us have been talking about trying to create an interfaith alliance, interfaith um, alliance of clergy. We've been talking about, you know, we really need the, the, the clergy in our area need to get together across 
um, confessional lines and demonstrate to the people that we love in our congregations what it looks like to have a friend of another faith so that we might live together in peace with one another. And yet for one reason or another, it never seemed to materialize, never seemed to come together. And then out of the brutal experience of what happened in Pittsburgh, there's more conversation going on. Now the very next day we swapped text messages and emails. And by the way, uh, a week from Thursday we're having bagels at the synagogue. Bagels at the synagogue. For what it's worth, the next week I'm gonna advocate we have Krispy Kreme at Johns Creek Baptist. But <laughs> the point is there is a kind of beauty that can only emerge in our lives after something has fallen apart. Do you know who I think understood this? The Apostle Paul. He captured this in 2 Corinthians 12 with these words. My grace is sufficient for you, Christ says to, to Paul. For power is made perfect, not in strength, but in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. What would happen if you were to begin to consider your woundedness as the place, not that separates you from God, but it's the very venue in which God's best action is underway? When you come to the end of yourself, you meet the beginning of God. Yes. So what does all this mean for this series that we're in? We're in this series of the whole body, if the whole body were. And we know that in 1 Corinthians 12, we've been talking about how Paul said, look, if the whole body were a single member, where would the whole body be? And what I've been attempting to do is play with that language. And I'm here to ask you a question today. If the whole body, what if the whole body were to think of our brokenness this way? Do you realize what kind of transformation it would mean in your family, in our church, in this community, in, in the entire world, if you and I learn to recognize that our brokenness is not something that shames us, it's something that welcomes the action, the redemptive action of God. It would change how we think about God. And it would certainly change how we think about our neighbors. Because if we are in tune with the reality that it's our hurt, our wound, our brokenness that makes us clay, and if, it's, if, it's, if we're fully aware that in our broken clay God is up to something good, even if it's painful, then it changes how we see our neighbors because we realize that not only are we unfinished, but so are they. It means not only are we imperfect, but so are they, and no longer does their imperfection cause us to bristle. No longer does their imperfection or brokenness or not quite finished lives cause us to want to keep them at a distance, but rather we begin to recognize they're, they're made of clay too. And can you imagine what happens if, if the world around us sees that we see them as clay like we are clay? How welcoming it would be to know that I can show up at that church because 
I don't have to put on perfection. I don't have to act as if nothing has happened to me. I come there because I recognize they are a gathering of people well attuned to their own woundedness because they have this audacious belief that God is up to something in their woundedness. It would change how we see people. It would change how we see ourselves. No longer will you despise the thing that has fallen apart, but rather you begin to pursue it. If God is up to something in my wound, then I'm going to do everything I can to read about it, pray about it, talk about it, study about it, worship about it, volunteer about it. Do you realize that we would be a fully engaged body of Christ if only we were aware that it's our woundedness that binds us together? My, my. So we're at the synagogue and we're leaving the synagogue Monday night and my two sons are with me. They go with me and, and they worship with us. And, and as we're getting into the car, one of my sons, Nathan, says, Dad, I don't know what to, I just, I, don't, I didn't know what to expect going in there. It's the first time I've been in the synagogue. But this is, this is a direct quote. He said, there was so much unconditional love in the room. And I didn't expect that. And it spawned a conversation about why that's the case. And we talked about the solidarity that comes from suffering. That when we suffer, it doesn't matter what we believe and how we vote or what team we pull for on Saturdays. Losing a loved one is losing a loved one. Amen? And there's a certain solidarity about that. So now, is there any mystery as to why God chose to send his son to die upon a cross so that all of humanity might recognize that God sees that it's in our suffering that we are bound together in perfect salvation. What would happen if you were to begin to see your own brokenness that way? Is it possible that you too could be shaped into something that you never saw coming. Yeah, no doubt it's different. It's different. It doesn't look the, the same as it looked 20 minutes ago. But what if that's the point? Hmm. So there is this passage of Scripture that I want to end with today. It's a passage of Scripture that you hear me quote again and again. It comes from 2nd Corinthians chapter 4. And Paul talks about the fact that we're clay. We know that we're clay, but what we might not know is that on the inside of the clay, there is this immeasurable treasure. A treasure that could not have been formed in us had not something deformed first. I want you to listen to these words as a blessing spoken over you. Hear these words. But we have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven into despair. 
persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. Amen and amen. Let's pray together, most loving and glorious God. We recognize that the treasure of you is more than can be contained in the clay of us. It makes no sense, yet it's how you designed it. We pray that this day, if someone needs to hear the truth that you have made them beautiful, we pray they would hear it with the ears of their heart. We pray that if someone who has been broken today needs to hear that it's not brokenness without purpose, but it's redemptive brokenness, we pray that they would hear it with the ears of their heart. And today, we pray that if someone is being made new, being transformed into the thing that you've been working on for some time, that they would see with eyes wide open and yield their life to you and allow you, allow you to be glorified in their pain, glorified in their wound, not hiding their vulnerabilities and weaknesses and imperfections, but revealing them to the world because this is how you have saved us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord of life.